at the end of Jesus' earthly time, as he was about to go back to the Father, God was about to raise him up again to that place of authority and power that he had. And it says in uh, John chapter 13, we're going to read it here, John chapter 13, verse 2. Um, this is the day before the cross, the day before Jesus goes to the cross. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he'd come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So here's the question for us this morning. What would you do immediately after you knew that God had given you all authority over all things in your life? What would be the first thing that you would do if you just knew, well, now I know that I've got all the authority, all the power that I'm ever going to need. What would you do in that moment? What would be your first demonstration of that power? Jesus used that very moment, it says, to show a heart of servanthood and to demonstrate servanthood towards his people. And it's what makes him different from all the rest of us. He knew he had everything in his power and he got up from the table to serve those who were around him, his disciples. And what I want to do this morning, friends, is I want to talk to you about serving, but I also want to talk to you about greatness about being great in God, because I believe God wants to do something special in our hearts today. And I believe that when Jesus came, friends, He came to give us a new definition of greatness, what greatness is really all about. You know, our, our culture is driving people away from greatness toward mediocrity at a great rate of knots. I want you to think about this for a moment. On one hand, we look up to great achievers and like, we're, for example, we just had the Women's World Cup soccer. Who, watched, who saw some of that? Put up your hand if you saw the Women's World Cup soccer. Okay, that's great. That's really good. It was the most watched thing on TV in Australia of all time, almost, except for the Olympics um, 10 years ago or whenever that was, 20 years ago. Um, and so we, we look up to our great achievers, but at the, on the same, at the same time, we're like removing competition out of our education system where we, uh, we don't want winners and losers anymore. And in some cases, we're actually eliminating scoring altogether. We don't want people comparing themselves against one another. Oh, you, you know this old joke about um, if, you're, if you're in the forest one day uh, walking with a friend and you discover that you've been chased by a brown bear, um, you know that you don't have to be faster than the bear. You don't have to beat the bear. You've just got to be faster than your friend. Is that right? You know that, don't you? <laughs> so, but I'm not talking to you this morning about being faster or better or, you know, smarter than any other person. What I'm talking about this morning is being better than yourself, better than you were before. Because competition is not a bad thing so long as we use it rightly. I'm also not talking this morning about being famous. I, I don't think, you know, famous, God's not necessarily into fame. There's a big difference between fame and greatness because fame is what you do for yourself, but greatness is what you do for others. And I think that's so, so important to get a hold of that. You know, when the young shepherd boy, David, began to develop a heart for God that would ultimately lead him to become the king 
of arguably the greatest nation on earth at that time. He wasn't on a public stage at that time. The Bible tells us that he fought and killed a lion and a bear and he, and with his own bare hands. But when he, when he did that, there was no audience. There was no applause. No one was watching. Only God, God alone saw him do that, saw his heart and knew what was going on in his life at that time. So he was becoming a warrior and then he became a king, but he never stopped being a servant all the while through all of that. And I, I want to ask a question this morning. We're going to look at Mark chapter 9, verse 35. It's a, it's a famous passage in the Bible, and it talks about being a servant. And it says, whoever wants to be the first among you should take the last place, should take the place of being a servant. And here's the question. Why do we struggle with this so much? A lot of people really struggle with this part. In fact, it's often been thought of as a, as a misunderstood passage in the Bible. Let's read it in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus asked them, what were you talking about on the road as we were traveling? But they didn't answer. They were, they were silent. They were dumbfounded. Oh, we've been sprung. <laughs> because they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest? And the interesting thing is, they weren't talking about Jesus as the greatest. The greatest of all time was right there amongst them. But they never said Jesus is the greatest. They were arguing about which of them was the greatest. And so Jesus sat down and called them over. And he said, hey, listen, whoever wants to be the first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. And right there in that moment, Jesus is giving us a new definition of what greatness is really about. It's actually about servanthood. What I love about this is that when Jesus confronted their desire to take the place of honor, he didn't tell them to stop aspiring to greatness. This is really important, friends, because so often we hear, you know, don't put yourself forward. You know, you just need to be humble and just live in your little small corner we, you know, in Sunday school, we used to sing this song. Did you sing this, Del? You know, in a kid, in, in, as a child, well, I used to sing it. You know, you in your small corner and I in mine. That's what we used to sing as a child. Some of you, remember, any of you remember that? I'm the oldest person in the room here, almost. You, you did, Karen? You in your small corner and I in mine. And there's this idea that we should never try to be, you know, in it, never try to aspire to greatness. When Jesus said to them, the person who wants to be first among you, be the, start off by being a servant. He wasn't saying don't aspire to greatness. He was actually showing them how to get to, to greatness. He was trying to redirect them so that they would become, so that they would succeed in their pursuit of greatness. Jesus never discouraged the disciples from wanting to be first. He simply told them what first looks like in his economy. And friends, this is important because I believe God wants some people here in this room to, to start aspiring to be the best you can be. You should be the best at whatever you do in life. You should be the very best you can be at that. You know, that doesn't mean to say you have to be a pastor or anything like that, you know, or, or some, I'm not talking even about some sort of spiritual role. It might be the best in your workplace. It might be the best in your, as a parent. It might be the best, 
you know, as, a, as an aspiring student in some area, but you should aspire to be the very best you can be for God. Jesus never tried to diminish their ambition in any way. He wasn't trying to replace greatness with servanthood. He was trying to give us a new definition of greatness, which is servanthood. And I love that thought. So friends, what we need to take a hold of today is that the way up is actually down, being a servant of all, but God still wants you to be raised up to be the best you can be in your life. Second thing about this, I think Jesus was giving us, came to give us a new definition of family, actually. Um, You know, Paul wrote his first letter to the Thessalonians. He describes when he came to the church, he said, I came as gently as a nursing mother and as fathers encouraging and exhorting their children. When you read that letter, it's full of all these family references like brothers and sisters and you know, fathers and mothers. He's all talking about the family. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, he acknowledged that, you know, you, you Corinthian people, you've got so many teachers. But when I came to you, I came as a father. And Paul is using all this family language to describe what the church should be like. And I think it's a really interesting thing because I think a church should be like a family. It's only one of the pictures or models that we have as a church. But a family is a really important model. So what is a family like? What's, what actually is a family like? So it's going to be really quick. It's, going to be, it's got to be a safe place. It's got to be a, a nurturing place. I mean, you know what families should be like, um, where, where you can grow into a young person with hope and, and belief in a great future. Uh, a family should be a place of provision. Uh, and I love that thought as I was just going through and writing these notes down. You know, God says, I want, my house, I want there to be food in my house. I want, the, I want the house to be a place of provision. It's got to be a place where you can learn about life. You know, we'll learn about what's, in, what's really important, where a young person can take their first steps toward maturity. So, so important. A family has to be a place where, where you're encouraged to step out and take appropriate risks at the right time. You know, that's, that's really important for families to, to be that way. But, you know, a family is, is all those things, but it's also about serving because a, a family is a place where we learn to serve one another, where we learn to give, to share, you know, to, to bless one another. It's so important. You know, I, I could never understand families where, where children were not encouraged to take up basic roles of, of doing chores and, and jobs, you know, in, as, a, as a normal everyday kind of a thing, you know, because uh, sometimes that happens in families. And, and um, so sometimes it, it, instead of becoming, you know, hey, Johnny, it's your turn to wash the dishes tonight, it becomes something like, Johnny, if you don't eat your veggies, I'm going to make you wash the dishes. So, so what we're doing is we're equating work, which is one of the most blessed things that God has given us. We're equating that with punishment. We're saying, I, I, you know, to do, I'm actually going to punish you by giving you a job. That's not the way it should be. Because God designed us to, to be able to, to share, to be able to serve, to be able to bless and encourage one another. So I think that's the way it should be. I don't know if that, if that uh, you know, rings true with you, but that's what I think it should be. So being a servant is a key part of what a family is all about. I think Jesus also came to give us a new definition of belonging. Um, and part of my mission today in this message 
is to convince you to stop attending, attending church, this church or any church. I want you to stop attending church. Well, actually, to be more precise, I want you to stop just attending church because it's too easy for us to just say, well, I'm going to go today, I'm going to go along, and to sit there and say, well, I made it, I went there. And you know what? Sometimes pastors, it's very easy for pastors to, you know, keep a note of how many people were in church. And if the numbers are going up, you know, we think we're doing okay. We think, we think things are going all right. But in actual fact, it's not really about that. You know what? Jesus never asked people to attend him. He asked them to follow him. He, he, called, he called people to follow him. Not just to hang around, but to commit themselves and follow him. And they did in their thousands. They followed him. You know, as, and as, as churches, we, you know, we love crowds, you know. Well, I'm speaking for myself here, I know. But, well, we love crowds. And the default setting is always to fall back to attendance as being a, an indication of what's happening. I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 4. This, I love this passage, 4.18. And it says, When Jesus was walking along the beach of Lake Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, and they were fishing, throwing their nets into the lake. It was their regular work. Now, I love that because, and in the message translation, it brings this out. It was their regular work. Jesus never interrupted their hobby. They weren't recreational fishermen. They were commercial fishermen. He came right in the middle of their work time and he said, I want you to follow me. I love that because God calls us where we are and he says, I want you to lay everything on the line for me. Being a Christian is not something you add on to your life. It's right at the very core of who you are. And following him, he he came to them in the middle of their work time and said, I want you to follow me. So Jesus said, come with me and I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women, which is in the heart of God, what God really wants to, because what God loves is people instead of perch and bass. So they didn't ask any questions. They just left everything and went and followed him. Come and follow me and I will make you something, Jesus said. I love that. Come and follow me and I'll make you. You know what, friends? That's not just um, a casual thing. That's not just a take it or leave it kind of thing. That's next level. That's what you call buy-in. Those disciples would not have done that unless they were buying into what Jesus was doing. They were engaging in the vision and mission of what they were doing. So in a, in a very real sense, like if we talk about attendance versus engagement in church, you know, they're, they're, really, the, they're really almost opposites, you know, so... Uh, I'm calling you to a level of engagement today to say, I, I want to actually buy into what's happening because I think that's what God is calling us to. I heard one of our state's uh, prominent youth ministry leaders just recently talking about this subject. And um, he said this, uh, after years of involvement in, in youth ministry, he said there's two primary indicators of engagement. One is He's talking about young people here, okay, but I, th- I think it's pretty similar, it's pretty true for all of us, uh, that um, being involved in a, small, in a small group of some kind, a life group or a small group, and the other one was serving in some area. And he said, after four years, I looked back, and the ones that stuck 
the ones that were doing something for God and going on in God were the ones that were in those two areas. They were in a small group and they were serving in some capacity in the church. I think it's pretty interesting, small groups and serving as indicators of engagement. You know, if you're just um, into attending, and a lot of people are, they say, I'm just going to go there, I'm just going to go to that church for a little while, see what I think. If that's where you, that's okay, but it's, it's easy to, when you're doing that, just to be, to have a what's in it for me attitude or a what's in it for me mentality. And uh, I, I was just thinking about this yesterday and uh, it's, it's been a real blessing to me just to, to watch what happens when people start, they come as a visitor. People come, they visit the church and a lot of people who come and visit here actually end up staying, which is wonderful. But um, they come as a visitor and sometimes you're having a conversation and they'll say, oh, how does it work in your church? What, what does your church think about this? You know, And then I might tell them and then after a while uh, we're having a conversation and the language starts to shift a little bit. And eventually, you know, a few months later, they say, well, at our church, we believe this or we do that, you know. So they've taken ownership. They've moved from, you know, looking as an outsider, an observer, an attender to being someone engaged in what's happening in the process. And I think that's really good. You know, a litmus test of engagement um, would be like this. If you're a regular member here, if you, if you are, you know, part of the church and you're talking to someone in the foyer, we've got a kind of a little foyer out there, you know. If you're talking to a visitor and they say to you, just off, off out of the blue, say, well, how does one get involved in this church? You know, the, the question in my mind is, what would you say to that person? How would you answer that question? And I would like for all of us to have some kind of answer to that question. How do I get involved in this church? Because that kind of buy-in or involvement is so important. A new definition of belonging. Serving. Serving is so good. Now, the last point is a new definition of beginning. Where do I start? Where do I actually start to serve God? You know, one of the greatest keys to finding your place in God's kingdom is to is to just to start serving where you are at. And people sometimes ask the question, how do I start? Well, you just start where you are. You know, you don't have to have some special skill or special training. I know in a lot of churches these days, you can't do anything in the church until you've been through the, you know, the six lessons or ten lessons or whatever to, to understand everything about the church. We don't quite do that here. Um, I know we're, a, we're a, a very young church, we're a, we're a pretty small church, but we tend to get people involved in serving pretty early. I tell you, I was, I was reading uh, Andy Stanley, some of you might know him, he's the pastor of one of the America's largest churches, one of the largest churches in the world in Atlanta, Georgia, and he said this in, his, in one of his books, he said, I often get accused of putting people into positions too soon or too quickly because people think, well, they haven't done the training. Well, I hope I can be accused of that too, because uh, I'm, I'm happy. If you want to serve, if you want to do something, then we will find a way for you to do something in the church. Let me tell you this story. Um, this happened about 130 years ago, and um, I, I wasn't around then, so I, I can't verify it absolutely. But, but um, so this, there was this guy, right? And uh, he was on his way to church and uh, walking along, probably before they even had cars, I don't know, but walking to church one day, and he was on a street corner, and he met these four young boys just hanging out there on a Sunday evening, and he said to them, well, why don't you, like Haley, you know, why don't you just come, to, why don't you come to church? And so they did, 
They came along. And the next week, he saw them there, and they came too. And they became the nucleus or the basis of a Sunday school class. He began to teach a Sunday school class, and they were, they were in that class. So, so years later, this teacher, many years later, he's, he's become, he's an old guy now, and, and uh, his friends thought, we're going to contact those four young boys, and five, they're, they're men now, adults, and, and see what had become of them, and they can write a letter to their old Sunday school teacher to encourage him. And it was uh, quite remarkable, the stories. Um, one of them had become a missionary to China. One of them was the president of the U.S. Federal Reserve, which is... Like our Reserve Bank, same, same thing. One was a private secretary to the 31st president. of the U.S., um, Herbert Hoover. And, and, the f- and the fourth one was uh, President Hoover himself. So I'm asking a question this morning. Wouldn't you want to be that Sunday school teacher? You know? And uh, if, if God... If the Holy Spirit is just tugging at your shoulder right now saying, you could do that, you know, why don't you do that? I'll give you, I'll give you the answer. There's a right answer. And the right answer is yes. Okay. So as, as we finish, in fact, I'll ask our creative team to come back up. But King, King David um, started out as a delivery boy for his older brothers. And if you can read the story in, in uh, 1 Samuel, about chapter 16, chapter 17, he, um, he was a delivery boy for his, all of his older brothers. And, uh, but when his life was over, he became the king of the, of the nation and... and uh, it was written about David. It said he served his generation by the will of God. Remarkable story of King David. He served his generation by the will of God. And that word serving is, is wonderful. It's a wonderful word in the original language. It means to be an under rower. It's to, we can put it up on the screen. It's taken from um, a, couple of, a couple of Greek words. It means to be, you know, like in the like a, a Phoenician galley, one of those... Uh, battleships where they had rowers, lots of rowers, and they're in various levels. But this word to serve is literally an under rower, one in the lower levels. He served his generation by doing the most basic things you could ever do. And that's a good place to start, friends. We don't need to start off with some position or some title or some recognition. I don't think it works that way in the kingdom of God. I I think we start serving and we start to find a place of function in the kingdom of God. And then God begins to raise us up. And then things like recognition come later. That's what comes later. Serving is what really, really starts. So I'm asking again, how do, how do, I, how do people respond to this? Well, we often at the end of our 
services, we make room for people to come for prayer. But really, how to respond to this message this morning is that on your, on your seat, there's one of these little forms which says volunteer at Livestream. And there's a whole heap of areas on there. And one of those things might be relevant to you. You know, and again, if, if you're sensing, you know, maybe I could do that or maybe I could do this, what should I do? The answer is actually yes. <laughs> Some of these things have got terms and conditions. There are terms and conditions applied. But uh, the answer is yes. So I want to encourage you this morning. There's more of these on the table out there on the information desk as you go out. But uh, you can just fill one of those in and put it in a little box over there. Because I believe that if you want to become great in the kingdom of God, Jesus said the, the best way to start, the way to start, start being a servant of all. Start being a servant of all. So important. So important.